Praise God. Amen. We'd like to welcome everyone this morning. If you're a guest with us this morning, we're so glad that you're here worshiping with us this morning. Amen. And if you are watching us on theantioch.com, we welcome you this morning into our broadcast. Praise God. If you are physically able to stand, would you please stand this morning? It's, again, great to see everybody here uh, this morning. It's great to have in service with us Mother Wright. She doesn't usually get to join us on Sunday morning, but it's great to have her in service with us. Praise God. Praise God. And this is an awesome opportunity. A lot of you may not may not have ever had this opportunity, but we're really privileged today to have the founder and bishop of Antioch Church here today to come and minister. Bishop Wright, come. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, a couple of things I'd like to say really quickly, if I could, please. Uh, I'm preaching this morning and tonight because I have such strong anticipation for the call to war this coming week. Uh, I will tell you this, we call it a seminar. It's unlike any seminar you've ever attended. We use the word seminar because we don't want to call it a conference because that automatically implies a series of church services, and these are not church services. There will be no singing, no music in any of the ten sessions. Um, There's no offerings. Uh, very, 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 very few announcements that only has to do with normally the start time of the next session or sessions. So it is not a church service. These are not church services. They're not, it's not a conference. So we call it a seminar because that, that lets me define seminar by my terms. That's a pretty human thing to do, isn't it? We, we come up with stuff that we can define our way. And uh, I feel very strongly that the Lord has some very specific things he wants to do and say this week. And uh, lives are going to be changed. People are going to get direction. God's going to do major things. And... uh, there are people coming from all over the country, some from out of the country, and people will be watching online from all over the world. Uh, you may not, you may think that's a rash statement, but we have the statistics and the, the data to prove it. Um, and with all of that, with you being the host, this church being the host, and this is the place where the meeting is held and whatever, I have a great, great desire that if anybody gets benefited by this, you do. But we are not, we're not prepared to be able to do that. Most of us are not positioned to be able to receive 
what God wants to do this week, and I don't mean that critically. Uh, that's just just facts. As Joe Friday used to say on Dragnet, just the facts, ma'am. It's just the facts. Praise God. I realize that uh, this is Sunday morning in the mother congregation, and those of you that do not know, uh, I think, there are approximately 16 different locations where people of Antioch are meeting and ministering today. This is only one of 16. And because this takes place in our building and because it's the largest of the 16, we have called this the Mother Congregation. Uh, and this is the core group, even though there's at least... Uh, three-fourths to four-fifths of this church that's someplace else today. Uh, this is still the foundational group. And then, of course, service tonight uh, is for everybody, and we normally have two Sunday night services, one in this building and one in Baltimore, but tonight the Baltimore uh, Antioch members will be in this service by my request. And so I'm encouraging you to come. I realize we have some guests here today. We're so happy that you're here. Thank you for coming. And we have some wonderful people that haven't been in a while that are here. And we're so happy to see you. Amen. Um, The uh, pastor has pleaded your cause. I can't tell you how effectively he's done that, but he has attempted to do that. He said, please be gentle. <laughs> well, your definition of gentle and mine's different, I'm sure. But from my perspective, I'm going to be gentle. The problem is when you tell are telling people things they don't want to hear, there is no way any human being, regardless of how empowered by God you are, has the ability to make something palatable that you don't want to eat. This, that's not possible. So the Bible says to the, to the hungry soul, no, to the, it says the full soul loatheth the honeycomb. But to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. So if your life is so full of stuff that it's not possible to say things sweet enough without you loathing it, I'm not really talking to you anyway. Uh, I have come to speak today to the hungry, and I realize that that makes it difficult. It's a challenge to do that. Um, to speak to the hungry without being overly offensive to the non-hungry. So, uh, in Jesus' name. I have, uh, I'll be 69 in February. I didn't say that for applause. Thank you. <laughs> Are you clapping because I've survived this long? 
or because you've survived me this long. Yeah. Praise God. Well, I have assurances I'm not going anywhere anytime soon, so buckle your seatbelt. I'm not done. Okay? I've learned some things about people. Uh, I'm going to say this this way, uh, simply from a colloquial standpoint. Uh, God is my life, but people are my business. And I am a student of people, an observer of people. I'm never, ever, ever not watching. Ever not watching. First of all, because I'm interested. Second of all, because it's my spiritual responsibility. So, uh, I've learned some things. I've learned how willing people are to ignore the obvious. I'm talking about people. I didn't say church people. I'm talking about all people. That we are willing to ignore the obvious. That we want to ignore the obvious. That we want, and another thing, and this is, sounds like the same thing, but it's not. It's actually a different perspective on it. I've also learned that people really, truly are willing to be ignorant. You think people want to know. Till you try to share with them what you think they need to know and you find out quickly they didn't really want to know that. Because if I can live in ignorance, then I can find some semblance of some would call it peace, but it's not really peace. You will not find the statement ignorance is bliss in the scripture. The scripture says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So ignorance is not bliss. It's only bliss till payday comes for being ignorant. And payday always comes. Always. It is a fact of life that's unavoidable. Payday for ignorance always comes. Always. And we, we have, we have two types of clergy in this country today. We have one that's preaching for money and fame, and you know that because they're always trying to find out what to tell people that they want to hear. Because that's how you build a crowd, build a reputation, and increase your income. So their goal is to tell people what they want to hear. And that lets people live whatever way they want to live and pretend, because that's another thing people love to do is pretend. People love to pretend. 
They love to pretend everything's okay when it's not. That's not really a lump. That's just my imagination. This headache I have really isn't potentially something serious, even though I have it all the time, and, and, and the symptoms of it should be disturbing, but it's not because I'm pretending it's not there. Some even call their pretense faith and use their faith to ignore the obvious and pretend that what's real isn't real, and they call it faith, but it's not. It's pretense. It's pretense. Pretending. And so if you tell people what they want to hear, then they can pretend they're okay. And people will give huge amounts of money to ministries that will tell them they're okay. Do it all the time. But there's another type of clergy in this country. Those that, first of all, put God first. They're not servants of the people. They are servants of God. And God ser- God ministers to the people through them. Okay? They're not servants of people. The Bible says they're servants of the Lord. They're servants of God. And in serving God, their, their first and foremost priority is to let him use them as a willing vessel where they do not attempt to control or dictate what God can or cannot say. Men of God in the Bible on many occasions prophesied to the people of God about things they didn't even know what they were talking about. They didn't even understand what they were saying, but God said, say it, they said it. And... I am, by the grace of God, the Bishop of Antioch. And I will promise you this. If there's any preacher ministering in this church who is in the first category, not the second, I don't know him. And if I discover that there's somebody playing the first category, not the second, they won't be in that pulpit or that ministry very long. They won't be. We want to see everybody get saved that can possibly be saved. But we're not going to compromise to build a crowd. Not doing it. Not compromising truth. Not compromising the word of God. Not going to patty cake. Change diapers and burp people when they come to service so that they can go home feeling better in ignorance. I'm reading from the prophet Haggai, chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, hopefully, I don't know who's on the computer, but hopefully you'll stay up with me because I'm reading from my new mini iPad mini, otherwise known as iPhone 6 Plus. I want you to see this. I can read this without glasses. That's awesome, isn't it? Couldn't do, I had, could, had to use my iPad before. Now I can use this some of the time at least. 
Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, and the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts. Literally, that's the Lord of armies. Uh, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by, the, by, by Haggai the prophet, saying, is it time for you, O ye? This is King James 1611 English, and I realize sometimes it's a little difficult to understand, and that's the responsibility of the preacher to try to communicate what is being said in 2014 English. Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses or houses with ceilings? Um, that That's a very established house because a a temporary type home would not have a ceiling. So he said, is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses or houses with ceilings, and this house, the house of the Lord, lie waste? Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Let me just give you just a slight bit of history here. Israel had gone into the promised land and had been there uh, some considerable length of time, a thousand plus years, whatever it was. And they forsook serving the living God, the true and living God, and began, they wanted to be like the nations around them with all their gods. And the temples, the beautiful buildings that the nations around them built to their gods. And so they began, initially they began to just share some time, Jehovah's time with these other gods. And eventually they converted almost completely over to these other gods and the Lord uh, first of all, uh, and again, try not to get too detailed here, but Israel, after Solomon died, David was the king and Solomon his son, after Solomon died, uh, there was a point where Israel divided into two nations. Ten of the tribes became Israel, and the tribe of Judah and Benjamin became Judah, uh, from which that's where we get the word Jew from, Judah. And the ten tribes of the nation of Israel went into idolatry first, and God sent the Assyrian army. He said that the Assyrian army coming against these non-believing, didn't even believe in God, the one true living God, became a tool in the hands of the living God to, to punish Israel for their idolatry. We're not talking about people that never knew. The Lord is very merciful to people that have never known. But when you've known, and again, I know this is not going to sound gentle. I'm only quoting a verse. When people, re, when the sow that was washed returned to her wallowing in the mire and the dog to his vomit again, that's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. That's not my words. So if that's not gentle, blame it on Jesus. He said it. Because when you know and you go back, does that mean you can't come back to God? No, that's the idea. But you got to understand how God sees somebody walking away from him. 
They're not bettering their life. It's the sow that had been washed, cleaned up, but she goes back to her wallowing in the hot mire, and whatever made that dog sick and caused him to throw up, he goes back and eats it. That's gross, isn't it? But that's how God sees a person who walks away from him. That's how God, I don't know how you see that. I don't know how you see it. But that's what God sees when he looks at one of his children that have walked away from him. They're not bettering themselves. Their life's not better. Both of my grandfathers were farmers. I am not. World War II saw to that. My dad joined the Navy as an 18-year-old the day after Pearl Harbor and uh, never went back to the farm. And I'm not happy for all the people that died in World War II, but I'm so happy. No offense to those of you who are raised on farms. God bless you. I'm a city boy. Okay. Uh, really, really, I am. Uh, but my mother's dad uh, raised pigs, among other things. And they had a 55-gallon drum called the slop drum, and they would throw all the table scraps into that, not refrigerated, nothing, in the Florida heat. And And sometimes when we visited them, uh, it would be time to, you don't feed the hogs, you slop the hogs. And I would go with him. I wouldn't get too close because it was unbearable. He'd pull that 55-gallon drum off and he'd dip a five-gallon bucket down in that and he'd carry it over to the trough where the pigs were in their muck and mire and he would dump that bucket into that pig trough and they would kill each other practically trying to get to that trough and stick their snout down in that stuff and eat it like it was the best whopper anybody's ever tasted. If you ever see that, it really kind of dampens your taste for bacon and ham and stuff like that. So... To eat bacon and ham, I have to forget the smell and not and forget what I saw because I can see the picture of that in my brain right now and which whatever. So when the Lord says that a person who walks away from him is like going back to their the sow going back to her mud, that's it's not a pretty picture. So God then, uh, Judah held on to their faith in the one God a little longer than Israel did, and God sent the Babylonians against Judah. Many were slain. A lot of them were taken captive as slaves into Egypt, or into Babylon, excuse me. And then after 70 years, God liberated them and sent them back to Jerusalem. Well, the Babylonians had destroyed the temple. So there were two things the Lord wanted built first. He wanted them to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, which Nehemiah did. 
And Zerubbabel, who worked with Nehemiah, was over, over the rebuilding of the temple. And they got a little of it done, but then everybody said, wait, 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 we, we need to finish our houses first. We don't have time to rebuild the temple. We've rebuilt the wall. But the, the purpose, the reason everybody was so cooperative rebuilding the wall, the wall provided them safety. So they were really involved in helping to rebuild the wall because there was direct benefit they could see in helping to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. But after that was built and they were secure, rather than giving themselves to the rebuilding of the temple, they now wanted to spend their time building their houses. And the rest of this narrative tells how that went. Haggai 1.4, is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. In other words, how's that going for you? Verse 6, you've sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there's none warm. And see if this doesn't sound very modern. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. It just disappears. You don't know where it's going. X amount came in, I only owe this amount, but I don't have anything. Notice, they sold much, it didn't say that they brought in nothing. They brought in little. It didn't say they didn't have anything to eat. It says they didn't have enough to eat. It didn't say they didn't have anything to drink. It said, They didn't have enough to drink to get full. It didn't say that they didn't have any clothes to wear. They just didn't have enough clothes to be truly warm. It didn't say that they didn't have any income. It was just never quite enough. Oh, well, we know that's the economy. That's life. That's just the way it is. And God says, uh, why don't you stop and think about this just a little bit? Why don't you consider the possibility this is not as random as you think it is. That it's not something that you are simply expected to passively go through because everybody's going through that. Everybody. That's the, that's the thing. Everybody's going through that. Well, apparently, essentially everybody was going through that. But the Lord said, why don't you really think about this and how it's going? Why don't you consider the possibility? And in case they still hadn't got the message, verse 7 says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. That's twice he said that. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, his house, the house of God, the temple. And I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. And then he goes back to the symptoms. 
you looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, you run every man unto his own house. Oh, there it is, isn't it? How many, how many came to church wanting and needing something from God today? Seriously. You, you want something from God. You need something from God. You came here like that. Well, guess what? There's somebody else that came to church today wanting something. God came to church today wanting something too. And you can say, well, he wants our praise. Nah, he doesn't want your praise. Well, he wants our money. Nah, he doesn't want your money. Well, he wants your time. Nah, he doesn't want your time. He wants you. You can't feed him these little things, these pieces of you and hoping that that's enough to keep the lion satisfied so he doesn't come and tear you to pieces. Because that's how we view what we do. Let's give God enough to appease him so we can save ourselves for ourselves. But am I really saving myself for myself? Jesus promised. He said, I have come to give life. And to give it more abundantly. More abundantly. First of all, he's going to give life. And then for those who give themselves to him in that life he gives, he's going to give you abundant life. And then he makes this promise. 2 Corinthians 5.17 <laughs> If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now either... The Bible is an absolute fabricated lie. And God is a liar. Or there are two verses that most of us are satisfied not even desiring. But how could I not desire abundant life? How could I not desire abundant life? How? The people described here didn't have abundant life. They were barely surviving. They were the children of God, after all. They were the people of God. <laughs> These weren't sinners. These were the people of God. They were the people of God. They, they went to, 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 to uh, worship every, every Saturday on the Sabbath. They did. They, they, you know, they, they kept the law for the most part. They, they were faithful with their finances for the most part. They, you know, they, these were the people of God. And they were in survival mode. There was no abundance here. There was no blessing here. There was just survival. And if you read other verses, other books that talked about this same time, their homes were in chaos. No peace in the home. Which is a reflection of the fact there's no really no peace in their lives. Children of God. They were children of God. These weren't heathens. They were children of God. They worshipped God. They participated with God. Well, what, what's the problem here? What's the problem? The problem is Their agenda was more important than his agenda. Their schedule was more important than what he wanted them to participate with. 
they gave God the leftovers of their life and saved the rest of it for them. We are so busy today. We're so busy, yet busy. We really are. At least half this group right here spends a significant amount of time on Facebook every day, and that's part of your being busy. At least half this crowd spends a significant time either watching TV or videos every day just trying to fill up your bored life. But we're too busy for the house of God. I'm on Facebook. Occasionally I like to watch a good movie. I'm not preaching against any of that. I'm talking about priorities here. I'm talking about priorities. Or building up your business and not having any time for God. 10, 12, 14, 16 hours a day to succeed naturally. But have no time to prayer, pray, no time for study. I, I know, I know this, I, I know, I understand that this is not enjoyable to listen to. Well, it's not enjoyable to say either. I don't get any joy out of this. I expect to get joy. You know how I'm going to get joy? When somebody's eyes are open and they go, oh, my God. This stuff that's going on in my life is not an accident. My loving heavenly father is trying to get through to me. I'm not listening to the preaching except, except intellectually. I'm not really responding to the word of God when it ministers to me. I, 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 I pray, but I'm just going through the motions of prayer. I can't even tell you what I pray about. And, and, and I, and I'm trying to be a good, per, trying to be a good person. It's as if that's what God wants out of you. Show me book, chapter, and verse where God says, I want you to be a good person. As if that is what God died on the cross for. For you to be a good moral person. You're kidding me, right? <laughs> you see, the people that don't know God, they've got a limited amount of sins they can commit. Only a believer has an abundance of sins they can commit. Because with the believer, there comes this. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So for the moral unbeliever, they're just trying not to steal and not to... Uh, uh, not to lie and to pay their taxes and treat their wife or husband and kids well and, and all of that. Well, that's what everybody's supposed to be doing. That doesn't have anything to do with Christianity. Atheists are trying to be good people for the most part. What does that have to do with Christianity? There's no place in the book that says the Lord died on the cross so you'd become a good person. No, 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 no. Yesterday was my 46th wedding anniversary. I didn't get married to have a housekeeper. I didn't get married to have a cook. 
I didn't get, get married to have someone to repair my clothes, wash my clothes, iron my clothes. All of that can be hired. Probably somebody needing a job doing that right now. All that can be paid. Somebody, you can pay anybody to do that. I didn't get married for all of that. I didn't get married for what my wife could do for me or even really what I could do for her. I didn't get married for that. I get, I got married for the other half of my, of me so that I could be complete as a natural human being. And since the Lord used the, what he has designed a marriage to be as the metaphor for what our relationship with him as believers is supposed to be, then we have to understand the Lord did not die on the cross just so we could be better people. Because I got bad news for you. If that's the case, because there are some things God's never going to fix in your life. There's some weaknesses he's never taken away. He's, there's some openings in you for temptation that are always going to be there. He has no intention of making you such a perfect person that you are incapable of ever failing to do good and, and ever failing by doing wrong. He has no intention of making you that kind of person. What he wants is a relationship. He wants you to know him and love him enough that you want to be a part of him and you want him to be a part of you. Jesus said, at that day you shall know that I am in my Father and ye are in me and I am in you. At that day, there's, there's a day that's supposed to come in your life where you know that you're in him and he's in you. I know we come to church. Church is good, I guess. What do you mean church is good, I guess? When people define consciously or subconsciously their whole demonstration of faith as how often they go to church. They have completely missed the idea of what church is all about. Coming to church is not my faith. It's not my expression of faith. Coming to church... (laughs) No. I don't come to church to be saved. I come to church because I am saved. I come to church to fellowship with other people that know him so that we can fellowship with him together because when we gather together to fellowship with him, it's a completely different kind of fellowship with God than I can have on my own, just him and me. That's Bible. I don't have time to explain it. But it's a completely different kind of fellowship. And I come together with the people of God so that I can enjoy that fellowship. I'm going to get into it for just a moment here. Biblically, biblically, all of us that are born again of water and the Spirit whether male or female, are sons of God, biblically. And all of us, biblically, whether male or female, when we gather together, when at least two or more of us are gathered together in his name, we are the bride of Christ. So individually, male or female, we're sons of God. Whenever we gather together, whether we're male or female, we're the bride of Christ. 
I don't have to go into any kind of detail to tell you there is a huge difference in the relationship between a father and a son and a husband and a wife. Fathers and sons can fellowship, but husbands and wives are supposed to be intimate, and I don't mean just physically. But there should be, it should be the goal of having a growing intimacy between the two forever. We uh, were going through some things the other day, and my wife found a book. It was uh, one of those kind of diary record book things that we used before computers, and it was for the year of 1970. Well, 1970 was a huge year of transition for my life. I was medically retired from the Navy on the 1st of December of 69, and the first weekend of, of 1970, I preached my first revival in Fort Walton Beach, Florida, as what I thought was going to be a long career as a an evangelist, an itinerant minister going from church to church, getting to preach. I averaged probably preaching five, six times a week, which was almost enough. Not really, but it was better than not preaching, so I loved it. But then the Lord began to deal with me about coming here and starting a church, and this is the last place on earth I ever wanted to come uh, for a lot of reasons I won't go into right now. And... uh so he won. But even when he won, I, did, I, I wasn't ready to let him win all the way. So I, I said, okay, I'll go, but I'm only staying three years. Well, 41 years later, I slightly passed the three years. And so the book, she wrote something in that every day, she's got every text and every sermon title of every message I preached for the entire year. There was a lot of them. And uh, she told that on the night, the last uh, Sunday, or the Sunday night, first Sunday night of, of uh, September, uh, that uh, um, we got on a bus in Greenville, South Carolina at like 10 o'clock at night. And rode I didn't even realize it till just the other day and I looked it up. We rode all day, twenty four hours. We got into Pensacola. Uh we left our car in Greenville because that's halfway between Pensacola and here. And we rode the bus down to Pensacola because I had a little Volkswagen van that I'd bought for Sunday school and my dad was making the payments on it because I was evangelizing and we were going down there to get it, get some of our stuff and headed up here. So we rode the bus all day, 500, 500 miles took 24 hours to do it. Sat on the bus 24 hours to go 500 miles. They stopped at every crossing, every, every hint of a store, I think. It just felt like that. All day Labor Day, that was on Monday, got into Pensacola at 10 o'clock on Monday night. And to make a long story short, we drove into town here, according to her book, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on that following Saturday. And then she told about our experiences. And we went from being in church every night to no place to go to church here in town uh, that believed what we did. And so uh, we, uh, Chester went to work. Uh, he came home. We played Scrabble. 
that must have been a bad experience because I don't remember the last time of us playing Scrabble. I don't remember. We played Scrabble several nights. And uh, the, uh, the note on f- the 1st of November, which was our anniversary in that book, was quite an amazing book. This she said, "This is the, this is our second anniversary, and the second year was a lot better than the first year. Who knew we could be so much in love?" And I'm thinking, I read that, and I'm thinking, "Oh God, how bad was the first year if the second year was better?" Poor lady had to live with me. Live with me? You have no idea how hard that is. You you can't possibly conceive of how hard it is to live with me because I don't live here now. On a daily basis, I do not live here and now. I live out there someplace. My mind's out there. I, I have a hard time even remembering what day the garbage goes out. What, because I got a bad memory? No, because it's not. that's not where I live. It's not where I live. And she had to put up with that. And, of course, like all ladies... It was a test to see how much I loved her if I could remember when the garbage went out. I failed that test constantly. Not because I didn't love her, because I didn't live there. That's not where I lived. That was, a, that was an amazing, it was amazing to read through all of those days. It was like reliving that year of our lives. And that year, I was... Well, I turned 24, no, yeah, 24 in February of that year. So that was my pretty much my 24th, 25th year of life. But you know the thing about it was so amazing? I can't tell you the places we slept. We slept in people's spare bedroom when we'd go visit a church. That was before people, churches had enough money to even consider putting a, a, the speak, guest speaker in a hotel. No way. Uh, we we stayed in people's homes. We paid and stayed in people's basements. Uh, we we slept in Sunday school rooms. Leakesville, Mississippi. The uh, Sunday school department was behind the platform, and it was two story. Okay, and we were staying in a Sunday school room up in this corner. And to go to the bathroom, you had to walk all the way across that second floor, out into the auditorium, down the steps to the basement, all the way across the basement in the middle of the night. There's no place creepier than a church in the middle of a night. Why would you do something like that? Because his house was more important than mine. I went from an airplane cockpit at the beginning of the year to digging ditches at the end of the year just trying to make enough to keep us there because I didn't want a job that wanted a five-year commitment. I didn't come here for another career. I had a career. I gave that career up for the house of God. For the house of God. So the only people that would pay me were people that I worked as a 
non-skilled labor in construction for $3 an hour. Because if I needed off, it was no big deal to them. And they weren't obligated to pay me, you see. Because there were very few weeks that I even got 20 hours in. It was actually a pretty good arrangement. Why, why would you live like that? Why? Why would you do that? Why? Because his house is more important than my house. And you know the most amazing thing about it is? Because I put his house first, he's taking care of my house. Wow. You can pursue his house. You can pursue your house. You pursue your house. Stuff just doesn't work. It just, it's not, it's, it's not a catastrophe. It's just doesn't quite work here and it just doesn't quite work there and this, you can't get this right and this doesn't work here and there's enough, there's food but not quite enough. There's something to drink but not quite enough. There's clothes to wear but not quite enough to be warm and, 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 and you work hard and you, you take in your income and it just kind of disappears and, and you don't, you don't know what's going on. And, and then the worst thing you can do, look around, see that others are going through the same thing and conclude, well, it's just a, just a phase we're all in. When he said, he said that your heavenly father knows what you have need of and you don't even have to pray. Jesus said this in Matthew 6. You don't even have to pray for food or clothes or somewhere to lay your head. You don't even have to ask that. If you're, in, if you're putting the Father's house first and he's the Father and you're a part of that and you're committed to that, you don't even have to pray for those things. Why is it you don't have to pray for that? Because he wants you to not have to put any emotional energy in that so that you will be able to give your emotional energy to his house. And what is his house? Well, all these things I'm reading to you here happen to Israel literally, but they happen to us spiritually. So what is his house today? It's not this building. I think the old timers used to call it church house. And that's probably a better name. This is not a church. It's a church house. It's not God's house. The church can meet here. That doesn't mean necessarily God's going to show up. It's a church house. But this, this isn't God's house. Because here's what he says. Your bodies, your bodies, are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Your bodies are God's house. So is his house lying waste? Or is his house edified into his plan and purpose? Which is it? It's no wonder the world spends so much time trying to have fun 
because life is so unpleasant otherwise when you're not putting his house first. Because the joy, the joy, the abundant joy, the absolutely indescribable peace, no matter the external circumstances that you can have that's available without, with, without prejudice, with, with, he's no respecter of persons. It's available to everybody, not to a select holy few. But it's available to everybody. Indescribable peace. Abundant joy. That's available to those who just put their relationship with him first. And his kingdom first. Because you see, you can't put your relationship with God first in your life without putting what God puts first in him first in your life you can't do it now does that mean you're not supposed to go to work or you're not supposed you're supposed to pray or get on your knees and pray all day long of course not that's not what this is talking about when the scripture says pray without ceasing he didn't mean get down on your knees and pray all day that's not what he's talking about but when you're putting him first and you've got this relationship this connection going in your mind and, and frequently from your lips, out of your spirit, just, just, it just comes. It's not, it just happens. It's just there. It, you don't have to think, try to do it. It just, it just flows. It flows. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I love you, Father. I praise you, Father. And then somebody will come to your mind and you'll feel a little trouble about him. And, and Father, I commit this person to you right now. You know what's going on in their life right now. In Jesus' name, I give them to you right now, Lord. Help them right now. And, and you may pray 10 seconds. It may be 30 seconds. It may be a minute. It may be five minutes. Rarely ever longer than that. On some occasions, yes, but not, not very long. Paul said, I don't cease to make mention of you in my prayers. He didn't have some long list. He called people's names every day. But as the Spirit would lead him, because he was in this relationship, he had this relationship with, with God going. And so, the, the, every, he understood that there weren't random Things coming into his head that the Spirit of God was putting that thought in his mind. And so when somebody would just out of the blue come in his brains, he wouldn't dismiss that. You say, well, I don't, I can't stop get, I'm on the job. I can't stop and get out and pray. Who said you have to stop, get out and pray? You don't even have to pray it out loud where anybody knows you're doing it. Because you're part of him. He's part of you. you got this relationship going. But you can't have that when you divide your life up into the spiritual and the secular. This is what I do for him, and this is my life. That's what they did, you see. They gave enough of themselves to convince themselves that they were really believers in God when they were really, all of their focus and energy was on their house, their life, their way. And you know something? You, you, you can leave here and do that. It's your choice. 
God bless you. Hope to see you back next week. I'm not preaching an ultimatum here today. I'm not saying do this or don't. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying this. The next time you want to buy something, there's not money for it. This message is going to go through your brain. The next time you want to want something and it's what you got, you have something, but it's not quite enough. This message is going to go through your mind. <laughs> you, can, you can think what you want. And, you know, I can only tell you, you know, God knows my heart and he's my judge. And so I'll do that. I, I am the, these last. That building fell down in February of 03. In August of 03, the Lord changed my life once I got over grieving for that building. And since then, I've had peace. And guess what else I've had? I've had contentment. Contentment. What's contentment? I, I'm what the state I'm in. I'm I'm content. Whatever it is, good or bad, high or low, I'm content. I'm really hard to shop for for my birthday and for Christmas. Well, what do you want? I don't know. Isn't there anything you want? I don't know. You got everything you want? I don't know. Except that I'm content. Literally. I'm, it's the truth. Ask my family. It's the truth. What do we get dad for Christmas? I don't know. Well, you say, how can that be? Because the Lord taught me how. <laughs> Paul said those things that were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless. And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and but and do count them but dung. You know, you can read that and you go, ooh, I don't like to have what that sounds like. But you're missing the point. Paul said the things I've already lost, I've lost them. There's stuff you've lost, it's not coming back. You're not getting it back. You're not getting it back. Not coming back. I'm not getting the last 68 years back. It's not coming back. I can go let somebody cut on me all I want and reshape everything so I look all whatever. You know, you, you can get, you, you know, I can get Botox to death where there's, so there's not a wrinkle left in me. See, that's really what I've done with hamburgers and cookies and whatever. I've had Botox on my abdomen. So there's, so there's, there's no wrinkles, you see. But I don't, I haven't done that to my face, right? I want to get rid of all this because I want to look like I got those years back. Trust me, honey, you had not got them back. You can turn the odometer back, but the wear and tear is still there. Get over it. Get over it. Life really is supposed to get better, not worse. Now, I'm not talking about the external. I'm talking about the internal. Next, this coming December, I will celebrate the countdown. 
of the last 365 days till I turn 70. You say, count down. Yeah, I don't. What's from here past? I don't have anything to do with that. <laughs> what I'm concerned about is. So February the 18th, I'll be 11 years from 80. 11 years from 80. 80. Forget 70. That's too, that's too close. I can't even see 70. 80. Six years from 75. You know how old that sounds? Some of you do. Sounds old, doesn't it? The bottom line is this. <laughs> I was telling somebody the other day, I was thrilled to death to turn 30 because I was sick and tired of being in this town and people say, aren't you kind of young to be a pastor? Well, 30, I'm now a man. The book says that, that that's when you could enter the priesthood in the Bible when you turn 30. I was thrilled to death to turn 30. Wasn't so happy with 40 thanks to my good friends and brothers and sisters here who threw me a party where they used theatrical makeup and everybody sprayed their hair gray on my 40th birthday. I was having a good day till I walked in there and saw that. That was really kind to everybody. Uh, I wasn't doing so good when I left the party. They had fun. I didn't. I spent the next five years convincing myself how young I was because Nolan Ryan was my age and was still blowing away guys off the, on the pitcher's mound. If he can do that, I'm still young. 50 was really a great year because 50, I was able to, I was able to, um, make peace with who I wasn't. You, you can't even start to have peace till you begin to make peace with who you aren't and are not going to be. What you cannot do, who you're not, and what you will never be. You can't even begin to have peace till you make peace with that. Of course, in 60, my whole world changed. Two months before turning 60, the Lord told me to give up this pulpit on a regular basis. And then I turned 60, and approximately two months after that, my dad died. And then, or six weeks after that, my dad died. And six weeks after that, I was voted in as district superintendent again. And that just absolutely messed my world up. Just messed my world up. It just turned everything upside down. So I'm kind of holding my breath what 70 is going to do. But the point is, I wouldn't go back to any age if it meant I had to give up this. The price for this was really high. Not because God charged it, because I made myself pay this price. Because of all this stuff, I suffered trying to do it my way and make it work my way and all of that and having to have a loving father not let it work to keep me from being to die in this grave of a rut. He loved me enough that he didn't let the stuff I was doing my way through my strength and my intellect work. He didn't let it work. So when you finally... When you finally just let all, let all that go, everything that was gained to me, I counted lost. Lost. But it, it's not lost because in the losing of it, I gained Christ. Everything that was gained to me, I counted lost for Christ. And once you do that, what I learned six months after the building felt was you first get peace over the sorrow of what you've lost and you'll never get. But then you get peace over your fear of what you've got that you could lose. 
And what you do with that is you take every bit of it as a big lump and you say, here it is, Father. I'm giving this all to you right now. I will not be threatened by this. I will not be intimidated by this. I will not live in fear of losing this. I want you first and foremost, and I give every bit of this to you. And now it's gone. And every day you let me enjoy it, I'm just enjoying what's yours. It's not mine anyway. And when you take it, there's no grief, there's no sorry, because I've already settled it here. Why would I do that? For that. I want to know him. I want him. I want him. I want him. Here's the price of having him. Me. Not my praise, not my money, not my time. The price of having him is me. Well, you know what? I got the best end of that deal so far beyond imagination. It's ridiculous. Consider your ways. You know, theoretically and theologically, Christians ought to be the happiest people on earth. Right. Sure. Sure. Theologically and theoretically, Christians ought to be the happiest people on earth. Why aren't they? Why is your average Christian not a truly happy person? Because the word happy means blessed. Or the word blessed means happy. And you can't be happy unless you're blessed. And you can't be blessed without being happy. And what does blessed mean? Well, it doesn't mean what the TV preachers are preaching with all the S's having a, a dollar sign substitute in there. Because in our world, Christian world today, the only kind of blessing there is is more money. Sometimes it's a blessing for God to take money. Sometimes that's a blessing. Because much of the time we don't possess our possessions. Our possessions possess us. Who's doing the possessing with what you own? Do you possess it? Does it possess you? That's why Paul said, in whatever state I, I find myself, therein I'm content. I'm content. You know, this is, this is what used to go through my brain. If I give everything to Jesus... I won't have a life left. I won't ever get to do anything I like to do. I won't ever get to go anywhere I like to go. I won't ever, I won't, I won't even exist anymore. I can't tell you how much of an absolute lie from the pits of hell that is. If you're if you're no more convinced of that statement than that, I wouldn't clap. <laughs> Don't hurt your hands. <laughs> See, the Bible talks about giving the sacrifice of praise. 
I, I get a little extra blessing when I clap. I don't ever clap without hurting. Because I got substitute artificial joints right there. So when I clap, it jars all of that, see? So for me, clapping is something more meaningful. I don't do it just to go through the motion. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to make a point. Okay? Just, just trying to make a point. You know, if you're upset with me, it's because you want to be. It's not because I'm trying to make you be. I'm just trying to help here. I read something the other day. I want you to put these on the screen for me. I, I, I was studying the other day, and, and I came across a verse, and I, I did a little checking here. I'd like for you to put um, Revelation 6 and 8 on the screen for me, please. And after that, I want you to do, uh, when I read this, I want you to put up uh, uh, Revelation nine fifteen, and I'm going to read through 18. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. Let me read that again. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and he followed with him, and power was given unto them over the fourth, fourth, one-fourth part of the earth to kill, over a fourth part of the earth, going to kill them with sword and with hunger and with death and with beasts of the earth. Depending on whose estimates you're reading, there were between 20 and 50 million people who died as a result, directly or indirectly, of World War II. And whether you know this or not, our world has been, the peace in our world is held together by a thread so thin that it is unimaginable. And the book of Revelation foretells a time in the near future the near future, whether tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, five years from now, ten years from now, uh, it is my personal conviction that this is going to happen in my lifetime. And I'm almost 69. And both of my parents lived into their mid-80s, so maybe, maybe you've got 15, 16 years, maybe, if it's going to be in my lifetime, maybe. I don't know. But there's going to be a point, according to the word of God, that God is going to take the believers off the earth and they will be removed to a safe place in heaven. And then the tenuous, tentative, fragile things are holding man at bay from destroying each other over religion, Power, money, the three things men have always killed each other over. And usually it's a combination of two of those three, sometimes all three of those three. 
there are people sitting here that are a part of U.S. security forces. They've told me nothing, but I read their spirit occasionally. And they know so much about what's going on that it's really, 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 really hard for them to have hope for a future for us. They can't hide that part, not from me. They are sworn not to tell me a thing. They don't have to tell me anything. And I have to say a word. There's seven or eight of them sit here that work in that atmosphere environment every day. Some that are very senior and they know stuff. And while they love God and have peace with God, you can feel in their spirit they don't have hope for a long-term future for us. There's too much stuff going on. And you can believe in happily ever after if you want to, but there's only one place that's going to happen. Because the word of God has predicted that every nation that forgets God is going to be turned into hell. Well, if a nation that forgets God is turned into hell, what happens to a person that forgets God? And I'm reading you a verse here that says in the beginning of this period, one out of every four human beings on earth is going to die. One out of every four. And so let's, let's use, let's use the number eight billion. We're not there yet, but we're rapidly approaching eight billion. That would mean two billion people, two billion people would die. World War II was absolutely beyond comprehension in the number of people that died. And there was only two atomic weapons used in World War II. Only two. And it was incomprehensible the number of people that died. And yet the Word of God says that in the very beginning of the seven years of wrath, one out of every four is going to die. But it doesn't stop there. Revelation 9.15 says, And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year to slay the third part of men. Well, if you have four parts and one of, one of those four dies, then you have three parts left. And so one of those three die. What do you have? That means... In the first three and a half years of this time of great tribulation, according to the word of God, that's like no time ever in the history of mankind, one out of every two living human beings on earth is going to die in a three and a half year period. Say, you're, you're really negative here, preacher. That's a horrible, horrible thing to say. It's only a horrible thing to say to those who want to live in ignorance, who love to pretend the whole world. The Bible says, oh, let's do this. Second Peter chapter 3. Let's start with verse 4 and see where that puts us. No, let's go back to uh, verse 1. I'll read quickly. 
Second people, the second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance that we may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of, of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts. Notice the connection between those who scoff. Notice what scoffers are connected with. Oh, that's a bunch of stuff. There's nothing going to happen. The world's going to keep going like it always has been. Scoffers scoff so they can continue to live a life of lust. Verse 4. And saying, here's what the scoffers say. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. We've heard this stuff before. It's never going to happen. Everything is just going to keep going like it's going. Next verse. For this they willingly are ignorant of. Oh, guess what? That willingly ignorant? I didn't make that up. The Bible predicted that that's what people would be like in the end time. People who were willingly ignorant. Don't tell me facts. I don't want to know. Don't expose me to reality. I don't want to know. Don't. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Next verse. Whereby the world that then was was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, preserved, reserved unto, unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. One day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why hasn't this stuff happened yet? Because God, our loving Father, is giving you an opportunity to repent. And the word repent doesn't mean just, oh, Father, forgive me, I'm sorry. The word repent means a change of mind, a change of direction. Repentance automatically indicates that change takes place. No change, no repentance. And our loving Heavenly Father is letting Him and His Word be scoffed at to give people Time. Time. To give you time. To give you time. How long the time? I don't know. <laughs> I remember, I know that what prophecy said. The scripture says that when uh, Jerusalem would be recaptured 
by Israel that, uh, you know, it wasn't going to be long. I was at the Naval Academy. It was June week, 1967, during the Six-Day War in Israel. When Israel recaptured Jerusalem, and for the first time in 2,000 years, Israel was the capital city of the Israelites. When I tell you that churches filled up without any announcement, without any promotion, without anybody having to threaten anybody, when I tell you that churches filled up and altars filled up without having to preach much of anything, just giving people a chance to pray, you know why they did? Because the people that weren't living right believed the word to a large degree right down in their heart. And when they saw that come to pass, they said, Oh, God, we're about to be left behind. And all the stuff that had been important the week before, all the stuff that they weren't willing to give up so that they could give the Lord all of themselves, the week before, all of it said it didn't matter because they weren't going to get to keep it anyway because Jesus is about to come. Well, guess what? He didn't come right then. In fact, it's been almost 50 years. But what he said was, the generation that shall see this come to pass shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. (laughs) I don't know how you count a generation. Is that the generation that was born in 67? Or the which generation living in 67? I don't know. But all I know is this. If a generation is approximately 70 years, and Scripture says that's all God's promised us is three score and ten, if by reason of strength four score. You say, well, I got 20 years. No, it's 20 years till everything comes to pass. And tribulation is seven years long, and the church won't be here then. Excuse me, I'm not giving exact figures here. Obviously, 19, it won't be 50 years until 1967, or 19, 2017, et cetera, et cetera. The point I'm trying to make is this. If you're trying to squeeze all the sin in before you get right with God, that you can, so that you can then get saved at the last second, how foolish you are. You see... <laughs> It is a wonderful thing to be able to lay your head down on your pillow at night and not say, oh, God, I hope I work or wake up in the morning. I hope the trumpet doesn't sound while I'm doing X, Y, Z. Because you're not doing X, Y, Z. You don't have to worry about it. You got him, he's got you. You're in him, he's in you. You got abundant life, abundant life. Nobody's living as good as you are because of this relationship. It doesn't matter what comes down the pipe, good or bad. It doesn't matter what, what comes down outside of you because you and him got this thing going on and you know he's in control and you trust him and it's all okay. It's all okay. So whether, whether it's death or whether it's the end of all of this, it doesn't really matter. You don't have to fear any of that because his house is first in your life.
had fear of him. Let's go back to that verse if we could, please. I didn't finish it. The day of the Lord will come as a... No, I'm sorry. I I will finish this before I do the other. Uh, Let's go back to verse 9. The day of the Lord is... The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's not a prophecy everybody's going to repent. It means He is waiting... To give you time to repent. Now I'm coming back there. Let's see how good you are. I want to go to Proverbs chapter 29 verse 1. One, two, three, four, five. Oh, there you go. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. So you hear this kind of preaching and you hear it, you hear it, you hear it and you don't do anything about it. You don't respond to it. You don't realize what you're doing every time you refuse to respond to the word of God. You make it more likely that you won't respond the next time. Which makes it more likely that you won't respond the next time. Which makes it more likely you won't respond the next time. So, 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning our promises. Some men count slackness. But is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. There's nobody that's going to miss the rapture. Nobody that's going to go through those seven horrible years, depending on how long they survive that, by God's choice. Everybody that goes through that will be by their choice. Because he's given all of us free will, and you can choose if you if you boil down all your excuses that are just excuses and eliminate all your excuses it's up to you to choose just excuses because you know what if i really want to be saved there's not enough people to keep me out of this building there's nothing in my past that could keep me out of this building if I really want the things of God and God, there is nothing I've ever done that would keep me from Jesus because there's nothing I've done that he said is keeping me from him. It's stuff I've done I'm letting keep me from him. There ain't nobody. There's nobody that's ever treated me badly enough to keep me out of this building. There's no preacher that's ever preached from an Antioch pulpit that was mean enough to keep me out of this building. Mean enough. Nobody. Nobody. And if I couldn't go to heaven from here, I'd find some place that would preach me the truth, some place I could go to heaven from. And it's not going to be one of those places that's always telling you what you want to hear. So the bottom line is, the personality may change, but the word of the Lord's not going to. The approach may change, but the word of the Lord's not going to. His wife thinks he and I are so much alike. No, we're not. No, we're not. In a few areas, we're not. We're very different. That's why Antioch is structured like it is. 
so there's not just one voice you're hearing all the time. Because it is not healthy to only hear one voice all the time. Because everybody that preaches or teaches to you, preaches to you or teaches you, has a different approach and has a different personality and they have different giftings and, and, and all of those things are necessary to help you be saved. Fortunately or unfortunately, whichever the case may be, this is me. Now, there's some sitting here from a long time ago that says, no, that's not you. That's a different you than the one that used to preach to us because the guy that used to preach to us wouldn't have been so calm and nice today. Well, thank God we all grow. Hopefully we all grow. Next verse. After this time, this patience is over with. Oh, God. You're missing the pastor today, aren't you? Next verse, please. Verse 11. Looking for and hasting to the coming of the day of God, wherein the hearers being on fire shall be destroyed. The heavens, excuse me. <laughs> the heavens being on fire shall be destroyed, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Next verse. Looking for. Uh, you're, you're, that was it. Looking for. And hasting, 1611 English now, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of the Lord, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Next verse. Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Next verse. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that you may be found in of him in peace without spot and blameless. Next verse. An account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. Precious people. Precious people, and I mean that. You're precious people. Precious means valuable, unique. Some, something or someone that's precious is significant. Please hear me. You and I, you and I cannot afford to get so bogged down by what's happening in our house that we neglect his house because the only way our house figuratively speaking our house can have enough to eat enough to drink enough clothes to be warm enough money to do what it is we want to do and need to do the only way we can so much and bring in much instead of sowing much and bringing little, is to keep his house the priority over our house. You know what? He makes you a deal. It's a bad way to put it, but it's our language today. God is willing to make a deal with you. You put his house first, he'll put your house first. 
You put him first with you, and he'll put you first with him. You put his kingdom first in your life, and he'll put the things he wants to do for you and give you in his life. Because Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. When your house is first in your life, you've made the additions your priority. And he's saying, if you'll seek my kingdom first, these things you're seeking, I will add them, I will add them to your life. They will be additions, and I will provide them. I will add them to you because you've put my kingdom first. You put my kingdom first, and I'll add all these things to you. But if you put all these things first, then you're not going to get them. Why do you think the suicide rate among the rich is higher than among the poor? You would think people that are barely surviving would commit suicide a lot more often than the rich. But not so. Do you know why? Because once you get all the money that you can get that you thought could buy you all the happiness it could buy and it doesn't change your life for the better at all, where do you go from there? The poor can live in the delusion that if they had more money, they'd be happy. But the rich know it's a lie. And when they've given their whole lives to be happy by pursuing riches, and then they get riches, and riches did nothing of value to them. That's why more rich people commit suicide than poor people. Because what can a man give in exchange for a soul? If you gain the whole world and lose your soul, what has it profited you? Jesus asked that. If you gain the whole world and that yet lose your soul, what has it profited you? Where's the profit? Where's the benefit? Where's the blessing? If you achieve every goal, attain every dream, Everything you ever set out to do, it works for you. But in the process, you lose your soul. Where's the benefit? Because this is a very temporary life. When you finally get that person that's everything you wanted the person to be that loves you and you love them, and you find out, they can't make you happy because they're not Jesus. It's no wonder people change mates like they used to change underwear. Because it's a lie. I love my wife. My wife loves me miraculously so. She loves me. It has to be God. But she loves me. But you hear me that now. She can't make me happy if I don't have Jesus. And I sure can't make her happy if I don't have Jesus. And I'm not willing to trade Jesus for that kind of false happiness that doesn't really happen. I'm not willing to do it. I know I've gone a long day. I know, don't worry. You know, it'll all go back to normal here soon. It's fine. 
He's a preacher. I'm a teacher. I'm long. He's short. Okay. He's tall. I'm not. So it all kind of balances out, right? But the Lord's speaking to somebody today, and I hope it's a whole lot more than some somebody. Because while I preached generalities, the Spirit of the Lord was taking these general words and preaching a very specific message to each person in this building. And there's not a person in this room that doesn't know who or what they're putting ahead of his house. Not one of you. Not one of you. You can think this is hard, harsh. You believe what you want to believe. All I was trying to do was make a point. But I said to my wife when we first got married, I'm begging you never to put me in a place where I have to choose between you and Jesus because you're not going to like the outcome of that. You're not going to like it. I love her more today than I ever have before. And I mean that statement today more than I ever, ever have before. I love her more than any other human being, but you hear me right now. I'm not going to put her ahead of Jesus. And I'm not going to choose her over Jesus. And I wouldn't expect her to choose me over Jesus. So, by the grace of God, I never put her in a position to have to choose between me and Jesus. By the grace of God, she's never put me in a position to choose between me and Jesus, her and Jesus. So the point I'm trying to make here, just close your eyes a moment, I'm really done. With me, it's not the music that lets you know I'm almost done. It's when I ask you to close your eyes. That's what you know with me. The Holy Ghost has preached the message to every person in this building. I know without a doubt in my mind, the Spirit of God has spoken to every single person in this building today, every last one of us. And for those of us who have allowed his word to have its effect, we have allowed that word to cause us to examine ourselves, to do an inventory. And hopefully he's enabled you, you've let him do, enable you to do that with honesty, where you could be honest with yourself and with him about whether or not he's first or not first in your life. I'm going to say this to you one more time. You're not looking at me. All of those things the adversaries told you about how horrible that life would be if you fully gave yourself to Jesus is an absolute lie. In fact, it's so much of a lie. It's the exact opposite of what he says. It is real life. It's real peace. It's real joy. It's real purpose. It's real hope. Father, I have obeyed you today. And by your grace, I have not added to or taken away from anything you have given me to say. What you have told me to say, I have said. I've said it, Father. But I'm just the conduit, just the vessel. I thank you for taking the words you've given me to say. By your spirit and preaching a message to every person in this room. And I am asking you right now by your grace 
that your grace would empower us to be honest with ourselves and that your grace would enable us to respond to you positively, to confess, to repent, to change, to be willing to say, yes, Lord, you've described my life exactly. Thank you for telling me what I'm doing and not doing so that I can give myself to you. Jesus, Jesus, help us right now. Help us, Father. We cannot help ourselves. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I, I'm not going to give an altar call because I don't want anybody to feel obligated to come. But there are some folks here right now that feel like you want to pray and need to pray right now. And whether you pray right where you're sitting or you kneel where you're sitting or you come up to the front and stand or kneel or get prostrate, I beg of you, I know what time it is. I know it's past the normal time you expect to get out of church. But I do not apologize for obeying God. I'm asking you, in fact, I'm begging you, do not leave this place without responding to the Spirit. I'm begging you. I'm begging you. For those of you who do not understand, 1 Corinthians 14 says that's a message in tongues. That is God interrupting what we're doing to say he wants to speak to us. In just a few moments, I have no idea who, but somebody's going to begin to speak in English so you will understand it. And that is a sign that what's about to be said is God talking to us. So let's wait. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I can't tell you how desperate I feel in the spirit. I don't mean the Lord is desperate. He, he's in, at peace with himself. But how desperately he wants you to know him, to have what he has for you. And he cannot force it on you. He cannot. He cannot violate your will. He will not violate your will, and we cannot. But the Lord is speaking to you today. I don't care how far you've strayed. I don't care what's going on behind the scenes that nobody knows about. There isn't anything going on in your life that you that would prevent you from getting right with God right now. Right now. It's not a long process. It's actually a decision, an act of repentance, and a refreshed commitment between you and Jesus. Come on. Come on. The Holy Ghost is trying to help us right now. 
If you need to go, you're welcome to go. Just do it quietly. That's all I'm asking. Normally, we like for you to fellowship after service, but not today. If you need to go, you're welcome to go. But if you're staying, you ought to be praying. You don't have to be praying loud. You don't have to get up and move. You don't have to get up and move. But you ought to be praying if you're staying in this atmosphere, in the presence of God. Come on, the Holy Ghost is trying to talk to us. The Spirit of the Lord has spoken the word to us. We need to receive it today. We need to receive it. In Jesus' name. The Lord doesn't want the Lord wants you to be in a position to receive everything He has for you. And He has much for us. He wants you to be a part of Him. He wants you to be a part of His life. He wants you to be a part of His plan and purpose. There's no greater thing in this world than to be a part of God's plan and purpose. This isn't just for preachers. This isn't just for preachers. God's no respecter of persons. He doesn't have a select special few. Everybody has the same opportunity if they would just give themselves to the Lord. Everybody has the same opportunity to be a part of Jesus and Jesus to be a part of them. Come on. He wants you to be a part of his plan, his purpose, his kingdom. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know that he knows you. He wants to be there for you. He wants you to be there with him. Come on. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. You know whether or not you've been putting your house ahead of his. You know that. You know that, you know that, you know that, you know it. I'm begging you to be in service tonight if possible at 6 o'clock. Please, please, I have a word for this entire church tonight. Please, a word from God. Please, I'm begging you to come. Please, if you cannot get here, please watch online live. Please, please do that for your sake, for the kingdom's sake. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. If you need to go, please, you're welcome to go. No one's going to think negatively about that. God bless you. Please, if you need to go, you're welcome to. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. But if you're here with somebody that's trying to pray, Please don't press, press them to leave. Please be patient with them a little bit. If somebody, if God is speaking to somebody and you're, and, and, and they're wanting to pray and, and you, you're wanting to go, just be patient with them just a little bit. Please. Please. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. 
in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. I am not dismissing this service. I'm going to lay this microphone down. Please pray as long as the Lord is dealing with you and you're responding. In Jesus' name.